Today I'm going to uh, talk about what may seem at first like kind of an odd topic. I want, to cons- I want you to consider whose friend you are. Whose friend are you? Now, as, uh, as, as you begin to ponder that question, I'd like you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, the, the text will be up on the screen, and, and there it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 9 in just a minute. And as I said, um, that, may, that may seem like kind of a strange question to, to consider whose friend you are. Now, for most people who frequent churches, that could, that they could probably comfortably say, well, I'm a friend of Christians. Depending on your hobbies or, or your, your passions, you may, may be able to say, well, I'm, I'm friends with upstanding, respectable folks. Uh, or maybe you'd say, well, I'm, I'm friends with coaches. I'm friends with athletes. I'm friend, friends with teachers. Uh, I, I'm just friends with outdoorsmen. Whatever, uh, whatever sphere you find yourself in, that's probably who you'd say you're a friend of. But how many of us today in this building could honestly say, I'm a friend of sinners? I'm a friend of sinners. Now, you might be thinking, well, I have, I have a trump card to play, Jeff, and that is everybody's a sinner. So I have a friend, therefore I'm a friend of sinners. Well, that's, that's true. You, you are in that sense. But I'm talking about the outcasts of society. I'm talking about those people who, uh, who maybe don't feel comfortable going to church. I'm talking about people who maybe have been shunned by religious people in the past. Are you friends with any of them? Am I friends with any of them? Is our church a friend of sinners? And that question really stood out to me this week as I was uh, looking at this text and reading what uh, Matthew says in Matthew chapter 11. That's not where we're going to look, but in, G- in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says that uh, the people of his time were like temperamental children. And if you've ever dealt with a temperamental child, you know what, what he's talking about because they can never be pleased. He says we, uh, you're, like, you're like children that... Uh, we, we played a, a dirge, we played a funeral march, and you didn't cry. We played a, a happy, uplifting song, and you didn't dance. You just can't be pleased. And then he applies that uh, to John the Baptist. He says, you remember John the Baptist, he, and he was kind of like an ascetic-type prophet. He, he was wearing rough clothes. He was living out in the wilderness. Uh, didn't have a lot of comforts. He ate uh, wild honey and locusts. And he said, uh, he came not eating and drinking, and you said he's got a demon. But then... I come onto the scene. People invite me to a banquet. I go. People invite me over for a meal. I eat it. And you say that I'm a, a glutton and a drunkard. You just can't be pleased. And part of their accusation, he says in Matthew chapter 11, is that they were accusing him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they were not saying that as a compliment. But in that something, he had a reputation as being a friend of sinners. But how many followers of Christ have that same reputation? You know, people, people that were on the outcast of society would flock to Jesus, but they don't flock to church. There's a book titled something to the effect of, um, they, they like Jesus, they just don't like the church, or something like that. And it's, it's, there, there's a disconnect in there somewhere. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9. If you've uh, found Matthew 9, please stand with me as we begin to read. And Matthew's going to tell us about, um, about his call to discipleship. And I want us to see what we can see about being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says in verse, it says in verse 9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. 
And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, this is Matthew's house, there was a big banquet, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I think you may be seated. Now the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus created a scandal. We think of Jesus as being meek and mild, but he was a very scandalous person in his day. And not for the same reason that that, uh, a lot of preachers are scandalous today. But rather he associated with off-limit people. Now Matthew, he... This is very autobiographical here. And in just like one verse, he summarizes his whole call to discipleship. And you'll, you'll see it in verse 9. <clears throat> verse nine uh, Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And he got up and he, he followed him. And I understand Matthew had a very lucrative job. He was, making, he was making a lot of money. And he left all that to follow Christ. Evidently, he was already a believer in Christ because um, he was probably a disciple of John the Baptist or something like that, like James and John were. And, uh, and so when Jesus said, follow me, it was likely a call uh, simply to discipleship, not to salvation. But I want you to notice how he describes himself in verse 9. <coughs> he says that he was sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now we know from some of the other gospel accounts this happened in the city of Capernaum, which is near a body of water. And so, um, did, did everybody remember to pay your taxes this week? That, that was on was it Wednesday, I think. Uh, probably everybody here who had to pay taxes, and probably most all of us did, uh, you don't have real good feelings about the tax man, right? And that, that especially, would have especially been true back then. Uh, if you've come to this church, and I've talked about tax collectors before, you've already heard this. But what would happen is uh, the Roman government, or the Romans had come in and had kind of conquered that whole area. And just like any government does, they wanted to tax everything. And so they would basically farm out or, or have a Jewish contractors uh, bid for a job, and they would be the ones to collect the taxes. Now, Rome was, I mean, it was the superpower at the time, and they basically said, you know what, we want this amount of money in taxes for this area. You can charge whatever you want, but we have to get this amount. So what the tax collectors would do is, as probably people would do today, they begin to take advantage of that. And so if Rome wanted a dollar from, uh, from me, they would charge $2. And, and so they began to, uh, to take advantage of those things and become very rich. So here are all these unscrupulous people. But on top of that, um, the Jewish people saw them as traitors. Because here were Jewish people working for the enemy, taking their money and ripping them off on top of all of that. So the people hated the tax collectors. Now, the, we get taxed on everything, right? Uh, it feels like we get taxed on everything. The Romans had us beat. I mean, they would tax uh, uh, imports, exports, wheels, axles. Uh, if you bought something, if you sold something, they collected bridge money, road money, uh, port money, or harbor money. I mean, basically anything they could think of to put a tax on, they would do it. And so you'd be going along on your on your journey. There'd be a tax booth set up. You'd have to unpack all your stuff so they could look through all your stuff and say, okay, we can tax that, 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 and that. Pay them the money. Have to load everything back up. 
go down the road a little bit further, there's another tax booth, then you'd have to unpack it all, and you can imagine how much of a pain that would be. And so there was a lot of resentment towards these tax collectors. That's the type of job Matthew had. And since it was near water, his business was probably people coming over, getting ferried over, people uh, importing things, exporting things. He was probably sitting there near the water, taking money hand over fist. And so Jesus comes along and he says, you, come follow me. Now, if you were to see somebody, if you were to see Jesus call somebody that's doing that kind of thing, what would you think? Like, I can't believe, I can't believe he's calling somebody like that. But that's, so Jesus created a scandal, but then he created even more of a stir because this tax collector, this, this dregs of society threw a big banquet in his honor. And so more tax collectors came and more sinners came and Jesus ate with them. Now, it's hard for us to find a parallel today but, uh, with, with publicans, which is what your Bible may call it, or tax collectors and sinners because our society is so much different from theirs. And I've talked about what a tax collector was, but what's a sinner? Well, sinner was a label that was pretty broad. It applied to immoral people, uh, prostitutes, uh, people who were excommunicated from the synagogue. They, they couldn't go to church, so to speak. Um, they lived immoral lifestyles. They were pagans. They... Sometimes they're just common people, but they didn't have education in the law, so they didn't keep all the laws of the Pharisees because they didn't know them or they didn't see them as being important. These were basically the discriminated people in society. That's who Jesus was hanging out with. And it's hard for us to, to, to make those comparisons to today's society because it's so much different. But just to give you kind of a, uh, an idea of how much it would have chafed them, I would think, think of this. Imagine... You're walking along, and you see Jesus. And he's eating and having a nice time, sent down with ISIS, or the Islamic State, the militants. And on top of that, he's not only uh, rubbing elbows with them, but there's some notorious abortion providers there, too. And there's some KKK members there, too. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to see Jesus eating with radical Muslims, members of the KKK. And while things may be different today, that's, kind of, that's, that's the amount of revulsion they would have had. That's just not right. They probably thought, what is Jesus doing? These, are, these people are out there. We're in here. He's supposed to be one of us. Isn't he concerned that what they're doing is going to rub off on him? Isn't he concerned about what people are going to say about him? Isn't he concerned about his reputation, what people are going to think? And as I consider this so-called accusation of Jesus being a friend of sinners, I started thinking. And I just want you to imagine with me, what would our society look like if we were doing what Jesus did? What would our society look like if our churches, if this church, were known in the community as being a friend of sinners? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that our church is friendly. I believe that we're kind and welcoming and, and warm. I trust that we are. I, I honestly believe that we are. But frankly, I don't believe that this church or any church that I know of has a reputation in their community for being a place that is especially safe for those who are, quote-unquote, off-limits. 
What would it be like in our world if our church, if all churches, were like that? And instead, many people, if you, if you talk to people who, who don't go to church, they'll say, well, I tried that church, but they're kind of aloof. They're kind of, you know, think they're better than everybody else. Well, I went to that church, but it seemed more like a country club. I went to that church, but there's judgmental hypocrites. I tried going to that church, and they seem fake. What a sad commentary that is on the followers of Christ, that the people who used to flock to Jesus are repelled by the people of Jesus now. And again, there's a disconnect in there somewhere. I, I read a, a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. And he tells the story of, of this time he invited a prostitute to church. And the prostitute's response was, Church, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. Now understand, I'm not saying that churches should water down the gospel so everybody's comfortable. Because the gospel is offensive. But what I am saying is, those who were marginalized before don't darken the church door today. And I think there's a reason why. So Jesus raised eyebrows, and I would, I would say probably some, some blood pressure by people who are looking on as he associated with these outcasts. And they start to accuse him, and they put their accusation into the form of a question. He, they say, why is your master, why is your teacher eating with these tax collectors and sinners? Now, eating with somebody today, you know, I've, you see people in, on TV, I've never had this happen to me. Somebody will be in, a, in the food court or McDonald's or wherever it is. Somebody will walk up and say, hey, is this seat taken? And they'll sit down and have just eat at the same table. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Nobody, nobody does that to me. There's like, you know, they'll, 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 go, they'll go sit somewhere else. They don't ever sit by me. But for us, eating together is not really that big a deal. We enjoy it, you know, if it's with our friends. That's not that big a deal. But in that culture, if you ate with somebody, that was like you were, you, you were saying, I have an intimate relationship with this person. And so when Jesus is seen eating with these people, you know, I, you know the old church ladies went, oh, I've got to, I've got to tell Ethel about this. He, it was scandalous. And so Jesus defends his actions and at the same time reproves those who accuse him with three very short arguments. And I'm sure whenever he said it, those who were accusing him went, ooh, I, okay, that, that's a good point. Here's the first argument. Number one, look at what he says. Verse 12, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Argument one, I'm the great physician of men's souls. It's the sick who need my help and not the well. That's straightforward. It's the sick people who need a doctor, not the well people. In other words, if you go to a doctor's office, the waiting room isn't filled with people who have been running a marathon. It's not filled with people who are weightlifters and bodybuilders. It's not, it's, it's not filled with people who are in tip-top shape. It's filled with sick people, those who need the physician's care. And likewise, Jesus says, you know what? I'm the physician of men's souls. There are a lot of sin-sick people, and if, and if they're going to get the help they need... They're, I'm going to have to come in contact with them. Now, this is not to say that some people are not sin sick. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what he's saying is there are some people who recognize that they're spiritually sick, and they're going to come to me 
But people like the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't think there's anything wrong. They're not going to come to me for the healing that they need. Okay, so his argument is, sick people need a physician, therefore, i got to spend time around them to make them well. The second argument is from the Scriptures. If you look, look at uh, what else he says in uh, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That's a, quote, a quotation of Hosea 6.6. 6. And what he's saying is, um, you guys are, are all wrapped up in your sacrifice. And that's kind of a shorthand way of talking about the ceremonial law. And he's saying, you guys are all wrapped up in, in fulfilling the outward stuff of the law, all the sacrifices, all these things, how many times you go to the temple, how much you pray, how long you pray, all these things. Those outward observances are fine, but if given the choice between sacrifice and compassion, God prefers compassion. Because that's really a fulfillment of the law, not doing these, these outward things. And, and so what he's saying is, it's okay to keep the outside clean, to keep your nose clean, to live like you're supposed to, to go to church, to pray, to have your, your devotional life. Those things are good. But what he's saying is, some people get so caught up in, in how many times they go to church and, and, and how many times they, they uh, read their Bible this week and how long they pray and, and stuff like that. They start to see the, the, the sinners as being out there. They don't want to be defiled by them. And he says, God prefers compassion to sacrifice. Now I wonder how many, how many of us, how many uh, Christians are unwilling to show compassion because we're so busy with our sacrifice. The last argument that he gives is the rest of verse 13. That is, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, he's, this is not saying that some people are so righteous they don't need a Savior, but what he's saying is some people don't recognize they're spiritually poor. Some people do recognize that, so they come to Jesus. The worse the sinner, the more they need a Savior. Therefore, it's, it's necessary for Jesus to interact with these sinners. Now, as we see Jesus' mission for sinners, I want to challenge you, and I was challenged this week as I read this and I thought through things, and I want to challenge you, and this is a challenge to me too, to be involved with Jesus on his mission. Let's not be so concerned about uh, the form of religion that, that we forget its substance. Let's not think of them as being out there and us in here. Let's not spend so much time thinking, well, I want to appear respectable, so I'm going to be around respectable people. Because if you do that, you're going to miss an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, the friend of sinners. And I wonder, would you think of somebody in your life that is off limits? Let's take a moment and think of somebody in your life that, that maybe you have always thought this, or maybe society, or the, the church culture, whatever it is, deems that person off limits. Maybe you've avoided contact with them. Maybe somebody at work. You've avoided contact with them because you didn't want to appear that you were endorsing whatever it is that they're involved in. You've avoided contact with them because you thought some people might whisper about what you're doing. Maybe you don't have anybody like that in your life. I recognize that's, that's a very real thing because uh, from the anecdotal uh, evidence that I, I have just from talking to people in this church and as I've been in church since I was in the womb, and I've talked to a lot of Christians, and one of the things I've heard over and over again, <coughs> excuse me, 
is that a lot of Christians say, I don't even know that I have any lost friends. And the longer that they're Christians, the fewer lost friends they have. They say, well, there are some people that I work with, but I'm fortunate to work in a pretty good job where most of the people there are Christians. And the ones that that are there, I'm friends with them. We lunch together, uh, and I, I do stuff at church. My family's all Christians. And I just don't even have friends that are sinners, these outsiders. But maybe, maybe ask God to show you somebody in your life that is. Now, I plan on, on dealing with this idea of, of friendship with sinners next week as well. And there, there's, there's some balance here. But before we get to saying, well, here's the balance, here's the counterbalance, I want us to focus on being a friend of sinners. Maybe, maybe there's somebody at your work. You say, you know what? That person is rude. They've said they hate God. They hate church. You don't have to start out with an altar call. You go up and say, Bob, you want to get saved today? Because he's probably going to tell you off. You might not even talk about Jesus for several conversations. Start to build that friendship. Start to build a relationship. That's what Jesus did. He was there with the outsiders, the sinners. There was some trust built up. In college, they called that relational evangelism, relationship evangelism. Who is in your life that's off limits? I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here today and, and you've never responded to an altar call. I mentioned one of those. All that is is inviting you to come and give your life to Christ. You repent of your sins and you ask God to save you. Maybe you have, but you've been like one of those Pharisees that you, you start to insulate yourself from the outside world. You know, Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth. He didn't call us to be salt in a salt shaker. He didn't call us to be uh, all holed up in these four walls, but we have to come in contact with the world around us to do some good. somebody that is off limits in your life that needs to hear about Jesus.